Thank you very much for tuning in to the SaturdayBlitz.com podcast. I'm Kyle Kensing, and with me for, I believe this is now a third time, we got uh, from BamaHammer.com, Tony Orlando, and this is the uh, NyQuil cold and flu edition of the podcast. Uh, just got my voice back recently, so hopefully you can bear with me, but uh, Tony, great to have you as always. Hey, it's always great to be on, Kyle. Thanks a lot. And, of course, we're talking BCS championship game. Uh, now, when these two teams met two months ago, we, uh, we spoke, and Game of the Century was the, the title that it had uh, leading up to it, and really didn't disappoint. A game that goes into overtime, you can't complain. The two teams doing what they do best, bringing their defenses. So with those two teams playing so neck and neck, LSU and Alabama just really giving each other all they had in that game in November, what's different in January? some things are going to have to change. We're not going to have to make 52-yard field goals for one thing. I think that uh, Alabama did a pretty good job of, of maintaining a balanced offense and moving the ball relatively well on LSU, but uh, we're going to have to get wide receivers involved in the game a little more. Uh, we certainly can't expect it all to be on Trent Richardson. I know Jim McElwain is uh, showing recruits what kind of offense he's going to have at Colorado State. So I, I really hope that we uh, turn A.J. McCarron loose, let them pass the ball a little bit more to open up that run, and uh, just get in the end zone. That's the main thing. Now, obviously, in a game like that, there's never been that precedent of having a rematch. You had games like Notre Dame and Florida State in 93 and Michigan and Ohio State in 2006. But those didn't come to fruition. Now, the talk of a rematch was something that actually began before that game. Do you feel that maybe that there was a little bit of, I don't want to say holding back, but almost some, some trepidation about what they used offensively to not give the LSU defense too many openings? Well, I, I think that there's a tendency to say that uh, maybe uh, Nick Saban got a little too clever. But no, I, I don't know. I think that there was... Uh, definitely some feeling out by both teams, almost like a couple of heavyweight boxers testing their opponents. But uh, if you uh, take a look back, particularly with the, uh, the probably ill-advised halfback pass into the end zone that was uh, questionably intercepted, I think they left it all out there on the field. I don't think you're going to see uh, a whole lot of trickeration. I think these teams know each other well. They play each other every season. And uh, you're going to get a, a great effort from both teams. Now, when you mention them playing each other every season, obviously you have two head coaches that are very familiar with one another as a result of that. And having seen each other just eight weeks ago, how do you feel the preparation for a game like this differs for uh, Alabama and LSU as opposed to Alabama facing, say, Texas two years ago in the title game, a team that they really hadn't seen before? Uh, two things. I really three. I spoke with Lee Tiffin on our own podcast on BamaHammer.com and one of the interesting things he said that was that uh, going into the Texas game, they really were not as interested. They felt they'd already beaten the best team in the country in Florida with Tim Tebow and so it was almost a letdown to go to that game. So having uh, said that, they're facing an SEC opponent in this game and they will be uh, ready to play them. Uh, a couple of things uh, to your question. Uh, I've seen where uh, A.J. McCarron has, has said that you know he plays better loose. He plays better with emotion, and Nick Saban has tried to calm him down some this season. I think you can look to see 
him allow AJ to be more involved and be more emotional and play with emotion because he tends to be a better player there. Uh, I don't think that uh, the teams, as, as I said before, will pull a whole lot of um, trickeration out of the playbooks. I think that Nick Saban has learned his lesson about keeping his team, uh, keeping his team from being too tight. They, they took some, some time off to rest, and they went back in as almost as if they were going into spring camp and fall camp and, and sort of starting on uh, working on some basics to get the team back into the state of mind to play again. So I think you're going to see, particularly in the case of Alabama, a really prepared, focused team. Now, on the topic of focus, something that I thought was really interesting uh, that shocked me was the uh, announcement Trent Richardson is actually going to return to Tuscaloosa next year. Obviously, something that's, uh, that's something that Bama fans are going to be uh, incredibly excited about. Getting that out of the way before the title game, do you believe that that was probably a calculated move by Trent, and how do you feel like that maybe helps him and the entire offense get a little more focused for this game? Well, I'll tell you that uh, I'll take the opposite tack on that. I think that was probably the words of a young man who spoke before thinking because uh, almost immediately after that, some, some spokespeople said, well, Trent uh, is exploring all his options. He has since, uh, to use a political word, clarified his, his uh, words. He's still exploring his options. I think that he probably would like to come back for his senior season, but uh, I'm sure Coach Saban will encourage him to take a look at his draft status, what that would be, and uh, make the best decision for him and his family, particularly his, his two daughters. So, you know, let's not count our chickens before they're hatched. Uh, we'll, it remains to be seen whether he'll enter the draft or not. Ah, okay. That's, that's good to know. The last I had heard, he, he had announced. So I, I like the, the, the political clarification uh, definition of that. Mistake about it, but uh, I'm always in favor, and I think you and I spoke about this on our last podcast. That uh, uh, I'd love to have him back, but Trent, go make that money. Absolutely, and I, I feel there's no doubt that he's going to be the first running back taken, uh, regardless of who else is in that class. So, you know, he's definitely got the options, and uh, of course, Bama's going to be loaded again next year, and this could actually be a preview of. Uh, this game, oh, pardon me, like I said, the cold and flu edition, uh, this game, of course, the, the sequel, but we could be looking at something that's possibly a trilogy because next year these teams are going to be so loaded again and going after another title. And to that end, Alabama loses a ton of talent on defense, but the core that's there right now is one of the best units of all time. I, I said uh, on my blog before that I believe that this linebacking core is the best ever. And that was really evident in the first game between these two teams. There was a lot of talk about how the offenses weren't able to score as opposed to credit for the defense. What do you think made the defense so special to stop an offense that's putting up nearly 40 a game? And what do they do to replicate that? Well, I think a lot of it, obviously, is the talent that Nick Saban has amassed. But the other part of that is having the talent to be able to run his scheme. Nick Saban likes to, uh, to run a 3-4. He likes to... Uh, be able to have his defensive backs play in space and to uh, play man coverage. So having the talent to be able to run his uh, 
his defensive scheme is the key, and Saban has just been lights out recruiting for five years now, stocking up on talent, and uh, that's really the key to it. He has just stockpiled so much talent. This is really the fruition of his efforts there. And you can really see it shine through. I mean, so many guys are projected to play in the NFL. Is there anyone in particular on that defense who you feel is going to make the best pro or anyone who you feel, feel has carved out or will carve out the biggest niche in tied history? There are so many defensive players in tied history that, that, you know, that are just household names in Tuscaloosa. It's, it's really hard to pick one. I think uh, Courtney Upshaw is a name that comes to mind, but there are just so many elite players on this team and, and it, and the all-time tied teams, it's really hard to single on, uh, single out one. Maybe some of the readers at BamaHammer.com be happy to comment on that uh, when, when the podcast hits the streets. <laughs> now, the build-up to this game, when you mentioned that the team two years ago felt like it had already beaten its real championship contender in Florida, this time around, it's a shot at revenge. It's a, it's a hated conference rival. As far as a fan base, how is this buildup different for the Roll Tide uh, nation, as it were, as opposed to years past? To an extent, I'd say we almost, as a, as a fan nation, peaked too soon. When all of the chips fell into place several weeks ago, uh, Tide fans are so elated that we the unimaginable had happened. Uh, I think we sort of peaked at that point. So now we're just almost ready to get this game going. Uh, there obviously hasn't been quite the media hype surrounding the rematch. There's been a, I think the story among the media has been more, well, do they really deserve this game? Do they really deserve a rematch? Rather than hyping up the fact that these two elite teams are playing. So... There always has to be a media story going, and I think that that is it. But, hey, we're ready for this game. The Tide fans are really excited about the chance to bring home championship number 14. Now, if there were a playoff, which is, of course, the magical if that always comes about this time of year, uh, having seen Oklahoma State, how do you feel like that game would have gone if that were a national semifinal? I would have loved to have seen uh, Alabama play uh, Stanford, were we not in the national championship game? I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say how that would have gone. I'd like to think that Alabama's defense would would be able to handle the uh, the offensive attack of the Cowboys. But, you know, you never know, and that is why they play the games. But I, I just really believe that the two best teams in the country are playing Monday night. And regardless of what uh, Gundy says, uh, the, the uh, pollsters got it right. And to that end, let's say that we have another close game. We get another overtime decision, this time in LSU's backyard. Go to overtime, tied win on a field goal. Do you suppose that there's any chance the Associated Press splits the title, and what would the reaction be from both Nick Saban and the Alabama Tide fan base? The reaction would be, who cares? <laughs> uh, the crystal football would be in Tuscaloosa. The AP voluntarily left the BCS formula, formula several years ago, and uh, who cares? You can vote for anybody you want to vote for to create any kind of storyline that you want. The BCS National Championship game in Louisiana 
next week is between LSU and Alabama. One of those teams will be the national champion. Uh, and that's, that's the system we have, and it may not be the systems, system some people want, but it's the one we have, and, and the winner of that game is going to be the national champion. And who is going to be the winner of that game? Well, your guess is as good as mine. And, uh, if, if I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't be telling you. I'd be telling my bookie. Uh, I think that, uh, and you know, you can obviously check out our podcast at BamaHammer.com. A cheap plug here. We did a, a roundtable among all the editors of BamaHammer.com, and we talked about uh, the ins and outs of the game and gave not score predictions, but our general predictions about how the game is going to go. I think that uh, you're going to see some early scoring I think that LSU will be playing catch-up in the fourth quarter. It will probably be a tight game, but uh, I think that the Tide's going to pull this one out. Can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be an excellent game. And uh, as always, love having you on the podcast. This is Tony, BamaHammer.com. Of course, he mentioned the podcast that they had over there. I listened to it at work today. Great way to help me get through the day. Uh, good good roundtable discussion. Uh, if you're an Auburn fan, I think you might want to steer clear because it's definitely Alabama-centric. But otherwise, well, even if you are an Auburn fan, I suggest you go check it out at BamaHammer.com. And uh, Tony, uh, what else have you got for the listeners? Well, uh, you said it just uh, just right. Uh, if you are an Auburn fan, you can come listen to the podcast. You probably won't be able to read any of the articles, but <laughs> feel free to come check us out at BamaHammer.com. Uh, check us out on Facebook uh, at BamaHammerFans. You can check me out at Twitter. Uh, I am at Bama underscore Hammer. And uh, come check us out on Amazon, where our book, The Hater's Guide to Auburn, uh, is... Uh, selling reasonably well on Amazon.com, so you can check that out as well. Absolutely. And then one final question I have. Uh, there have been some really great wrestling references on your site. It, it, so to that end, I have to ask, this matchup here, Alabama-LSU, what pro wrestling rivalry is this most indicative of? Wow. Very good left field question, and I will say that this uh, I would compare this matchup to um, Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat in the cage in WrestleMania. Wow, that's a good one. I like it. I like it very much, and I, I think that perfectly suits it. You're going to see uh, a great game, much like the uh, Steamboat and Savage match. So looking forward to it. And, Tony, once again, thank you very much for stopping by, SaturdayBlitz.com, and hopefully you have a pleasurable evening on Monday. I certainly hope so. Thanks for having me on, Kyle, and roll tide, everybody. And we're back here on the SaturdayBlitz.com podcast. And uh, joining me, first-timer to the podcast, Buzz Breeden from DeathValleyVoice.com. I recommend you go check out the site. A lot of good stuff with the uh, BCS countdown going on over there this week. And uh, Buzz, thanks a lot for taking this time to chat with us. I appreciate you having me. And, of course, LSU-Alabama, the big game. We're just a couple of days away. Uh, and this one, you got the SEC clash, the SEC rivalry. These two teams have seen each other just eight weeks ago. They see each other year in and year out. So how do you feel like that rivalry makes this championship build up a little bit different from what LSU's seen in, in the past couple of years, 03 with uh, Oklahoma and 2007 with Ohio State? Well, as far as the perspective from the team you know I think Miles and even before him Saban did a, a real good job of just 
keeping these guys uh, with as much tunnel vision as possible. But, uh, you know, this year with, with all the extra attention uh, from the media, I mean, like I said, just eight weeks ago, this was the game of the century. Uh, and just a matter of weeks later, we're doing it all over again. I mean, that should only add to the drama uh, that this series, ever since Saban took over at Alabama, uh, has really brought to, uh, brought to the LSU-Alabama matchup. And now that, that drama with Saban having won, you know, this LSU going for their third title in less than a decade and, and Saban being responsible for one of those, what sort of extra element does that add from, from LSU's standpoint, this being a coach that the program's so familiar with? Well, I, I know for the fans, it's, you know, we, we want Miles to get this one just to kind of uh, put him over the top and kind of, uh, squash the debate uh, as far as uh, as many people believe the 07 team, even though Miles coached it, because of the chaotic uh, nature of the college season and the fact that Miles won it with two losses and uh, some of it with Saban's players uh, really didn't resonate well uh, with most of us. And, and even going back to 03 with all the uh, Southern Cal controversy, I think what LSU wants finally is uh, to have a title that, that there's no excuses, there's no asterisks, there's, there's no nothing around it. It's just something that's their own and, and possibly capping off uh, one of the greatest seasons in, in the BCS era. And I think that's a really interesting point you bring up, one of the best seasons in the, in the BCS era period because this team really has just been a, a complete steamroller, putting up nearly 40 points a game and, and boasting one of the best defenses in all of college football, and, and this Alabama team being the only squad that's really challenged LSU this season. I mean, you've seen the Tigers steamroll Georgia, which is a top 25 team. Uh, West Virginia, which we saw in the uh, Orange Bowl, is obviously a good team. So what about Alabama is it that poses some problems for LSU, and, and how do the Tigers stop the, that team for a second time? Well... The first go around, the, the one thing that stood out is is the amount of yards uh, Alabama was able to gain on, on LSU. Um, the two defenses are completely different. Uh, Alabama's going to completely try to suffocate you and shut you down. Uh, LSU doesn't play that style. They're, they'll give you yards, um, but they're going to be a very opportunistic group, try to get turnovers. They like to have a lot of tackles for loss and a lot of negative plays. Um, but, but heading into this game, what, what I guess most LSU fans are, are a little nervous about is, is this, is that, you know, the, uh, the revenge factor, first of all, for Alabama. Uh, you're hearing all the quotes uh, about how, uh, you know, how they felt they were the better team and they need to prove it again, and, and that's always a great factor uh, for the, the underdog coming into the game. Um, even more important than that, Barrett Jones is going to be healthy for this game. Uh, when Jones was in the game healthy, which was the better half of the, uh, the first and second quarter, Alabama moved the ball up and down the field uh, pretty successfully against LSU. Uh, Richardson was able to get a couple of good 20-plus yard runs. Uh, McCarron had plenty of time. Uh, it looked decent uh, for, for a quarterback in this matchup. Um, but once he got hurt, Alabama really struggled. Uh, they failed to really be able to get positive possessions in uh, LSU's territory. And so those two things alone is something that's a little nerve-wracking in, in a game that was this closely matched that really the difference of the game was 
Uh, LSU safety Eric Reed picked the ball off at the one-yard line, and then three plays later, Brad Wing kicked a 73-yard punt. Uh, you know, when those are the highlights of a game, you know there's a lot of uh, wiggle room for the two teams. Now, the fact that the big plays in that game were you have the interception, you have the punt, as you mentioned, uh, the missed field goal, and it being such a defensive struggle, what will it take for LSU's offense to be able to get going against an Alabama defense that's loaded with NFL-level talent when you talk about guys like Barron and Upshaw and Hightower? Well, a lot of prayers will start uh, to help. But uh, really, since the Alabama game, uh, the LSU offense has almost uh, changed. Um, two big additions to the offense was uh, bringing Jordan Jefferson back on as a starting quarterback and uh, the addition of Kenny Hilliard, uh, the talented true freshman. Um, since Bama, LSU's averaging five tailbacks to get five carries a game. Before that, you're only seeing two, maybe three. Um, their rushing yards have shot up tremendously. Uh, since Bama, they're averaging 257 yards a game compared to only 183 before that. Um, and speaking of Hilliard, you know, in the four games, uh, Auburn, uh, Arkansas, Georgia, and I think Ole Miss, he's had six touchdowns in just those four games and nearly 300 yards rushing. Uh, he's really been a great relief for Spencer Ware, who's kind of the uh, hard-nosed inside tailback for LSU, who you could tell during the Alabama game was wearing down, um, but early on had some success. So I think with the addition of Hilliard uh, to be able to go inside and uh, hopefully wear down the Alabama linebackers like Highsmith and Courtney Upshaw. Uh, that'll allow for that option game uh, between Jefferson and Ford uh, to be able to get more positive yards like we saw in the overtime that uh, ultimately the option is, is what helps set up the game-winning field goal for LSU. Now, something that's really impressed me with this LSU team is its depth. Uh, and You mentioned somebody like Hilliard, that Arkansas game to close the regular season. Uh, he just completely blew the doors off me. And then when the suspensions happened in October when uh, Brooks stepped in and it was the secondary didn't miss a beat, how important do you feel like that depth is going to be for the Tigers come Monday? Well, it's, it's going to be very important, obviously, for both sides. But, you know, for, for LSU, we've seen uh, on, on defensively, they don't take plays off. Uh, Chavis is, is going to be sending... Uh, a lot of guys from a lot of different formations, and, and they really don't have the size to go up up front consistently with Alabama. That's kind of was my that was my one fear heading into the November fifth game was would LSU be able to get penetration in the backfield? But because of guys like you say, like Brooks, Spelling, uh, Matthew, um, like the depth of the defensive line, which at some games has gone as many as ten guys in the rotation. Uh, being able to keep those fresh legs and not necessarily being able to manhandle Alabama, but to be able to get past them. Uh, it's definitely a, a key point that I'm sure over the last month, uh, LSU and their coaching staffs has, has really been uh, making sure these guys stayed fresh and uh, didn't put on too many uh, holiday pounds as they uh, made their travels around the different award ceremonies. Now, going back to that November 5th game, that being played in, uh, in Tuscaloosa, obviously a hostile environment, this time a little bit closer to LSU's neck of the woods, how big do you feel like that New Orleans connection is going to be, and is this going to be a little bit like a home game, do you feel like? Um, I, I think 
so. Normally in the past, uh, when, when they came, that's what it was. But I, I think this is the perfect place to have this game. I mean, how, how weird would it have been for LSU and Alabama to be playing in the Rose Bowl? Uh, I mean, it, it's just almost like you couldn't make this up. Um, and, and to a degree, there's going to be a lot, probably more purple and gold walking around New Orleans uh, than Alabama. But make no mistake about it. Uh, Alabama for years has, has dominated the South, um, and, and there's going to be plenty of crimson uh, walking around, and, and it is just going to be a sight uh, to take in, not even with the game, just with the interaction between the, uh, the two fan bases who, you know, thanks to these, uh, their coaching successes over the last few years, has, have really built up a, uh, a venomous rivalry. Now, I like you mentioning the, the rivalry and the fan bases because uh, one thing I really liked at uh, DeathValleyVoice.com is the, uh, the King of the South moniker that you've used for the BCS Countdown and the fact that you do have this uniquely Southern flavor in the national championship game. And obviously Alabama has their rival in Auburn. There was the, the War Eagle Roll Tide documentary last month. Is Alabama becoming LSU's big rival? Do you feel like that's sort of developed into the, the, the premier matchup of the SEC now? Uh, well, it's the equivalent. Of, I mean, a couple years ago it was LSU considered Florida its, its biggest rivalry during the Tebow years when, when it seemed like that game was always on CBS primetime. And, and before that, uh, it was Auburn under, under Tuberville. It, it just always seems like because – the SEC tried to force Arkansas to be our rival. Uh, we really didn't take kindly to that. And, uh, really just don't see them as a true SEC team, to be honest with you. So, you know, we've kind of just been looking around to find which team are we the most envious of. And, and that's usually who uh, we hitch our wagons to to, uh, to show as much hate and, uh, you know, as, as much as possible. Um, right now, it's Alabama. Uh, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon, especially when, when you look at how young these two teams are compared to their talent, and, and they still made it to the national championship game. And now, when you mention them being young, uh, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, LSU in its own right playing some, some very young players right now. This looks like this could be the uh, national championship matchup, not just for this season, but potentially in the next year. Uh, how much do you feel like this is sort of a building block for the future of, of LSU football, both in terms of what they look to do next year and winning that all-important recruiting battle with obviously these being the two uh, premier programs in the country? Well, I'll tell you a little secret uh, about most LSU fans. Uh, we were expecting this type of season next year. Uh, once we got rid of the... Uh, horrendous experience of Jordan Jefferson and Jared Lee and uh, and got some kind of steady play caller under center. We figured next year would be the year where we competed against. We'd have Alabama at home. We wouldn't have such a daunting uh, out-of-conference schedule. Uh, we, we thought that'd be it. So this is just like a, uh, are you kidding me? Uh, this is groundbreaking. You can, you can make it to the BCS uh, title game with Jefferson and with Lee style quarterbacks, it kind of makes you rethink the uh, the recruiting, how, how we ought to go about doing that. But um, no, I mean, it, it definitely sets up 
uh, a great rivalry down the road, um, and, it, and it definitely gives you know LSU fans something to latch on to. In that, you know, when you've got a defense, when you can recruit athletes um, on on all three levels uh, to the degree that they've got year in and year out, you're going to be competitive. And what Miles has learned is is if you just simply put an offense out there that can control the clock. Uh, almost like a, a road grader trying to, to get down the field where a field goal is a victory. Um, that's success, and, and that's kind of been the staple of, uh, of college football over the last 30 years and, and how you win. And uh, it's just amazing that, that more teams don't uh, try to do that. And if LSU gets this win on Monday, where does that put this particular team in the pantheon of LSU football history, maybe in SEC football history? And where do you feel like it puts Miles, a guy who fairly recently was somebody that uh, a very loud contingent in the fan base wasn't sure if it was the right guy for the job? Well, to start for Miles, he would definitely uh, be eligible for the Republican nomination coming out of Louisiana. There, there's <laughs> no doubt about that. Um, it's amazing the, the, the year turnaround he's had when you consider the Tennessee game uh, and, and literally sitting in the stands kind of fearing for the man's life as he tried to get out of that stands at, uh, the stadium after they won. Uh, but it, it'd be a great turnaround. The fan base is behind him, but that's what we do. When, when the coach is winning, he's your best friend. And, uh, and that's what he is right now. As far as rating this team that they win, I mean, easily got to be uh, the greatest of all time. Um, not too many championship teams through LSU, but, you know, looking back just in the most recent BCS era years, the 07 team was fun, a little crazy to a degree. Um, you didn't know what you were expecting year in and year out. It didn't, it didn't seem like we were a championship team until they were awarded the crystal ball. This year, it seems like week in and week out, they've proved it. Uh, they've shown dominance against teams from the you know, north, south, east, and west. Uh, week in and week out, and uh, you know, obviously winning Monday night, it, I think they should go down as one of the greatest teams in the BCS era. And now that 07 team that you mentioned, for me, kind of the defining moment of that squad was the... Uh, the, the late-night Florida game with the reception, the, the fourth down call, what do you feel like a defining moment from this particular team would be if they capture the title? Oh, man, there's, there's a few. I mean, there's multiple chapters. Um, to me, it was just the Oregon game. Uh, there was so much doubt uh, going into that game of, first of all, why would LSU schedule Oregon? just coming off a national uh, championship runner-up season, had a lot of their talent back. LSU didn't know what kind of team they had. We didn't know exactly how dominant this defense would be, and they're going into a season with a, an unproven offense. Um, but as that game progressed, and, and you could easily see that this defense was going to be uh, what it eventually turned into throughout the season, uh, to me, that was the defining moment. But you've got them going to, when they went to West Virginia. Looking back at how well you know West Virginia played in the Orange Bowl, kind of blows you away how how fast they looked. You know, when we think about LSU and Alabama, we think of a bunch of big, slow, 
grinding teams. But when you watch those games, it's the exact opposite. Uh, when, when you've got a 240-pound um, defensive end running down LaMichael James, I mean, that's saying something about uh, the crazy amount of talent you've got. And now, to wrap this up, what's your prediction for Monday? What's the final score going to be? What's going to be the defining play? Who do you see being the real impact player in this championship? Well, after watching the November 5th game, and then just a few weeks later we're hearing the predictions again, people are still talking about you know the winning team's going to score in the 20s. And, and just keep thinking these guys are nuts. Um, these two coaches um, have been showing this film to each team for the last month, um, and, and I just find it hard to believe um, that, that any team's going to find the end zone more than one time. Um, it's hard to pick exactly what the score is, but if I had to, my gut's telling me it's going to be something like LSU 16 uh, and I'll say Alabama 10. Um, I think you're going to see a very similar game from November 5th. Uh, the question is going to be, uh, will Alabama let Trent Richardson run the ball uh, when they cross midfield? You know, November 5th, he only touched the ball four times in LSU's territory. To me, if you're a Heisman contender, uh, you've got to be more uh, than just that. Um, how can A.J. McCarron, you know, can, can he do better than what they did in the last game? Uh, with Jordan Jefferson, I think he's going to be the key to the game for LSU. As crazy as that is with this many talented athletes going to be on the field, if he can run the option, and if he can get those Alabama linebackers and interior linemen tired before halftime or going into the second half, to me that's going to be a huge advantage for the passing game. And to me, they did it November 5th. I find it hard to believe that Alabama is going to be able to shut it down completely. And so because of that, I think – LSU finished the season 14-0. and Excellent. Well, Buzz, thank you so much for taking this time once again. Uh, where can everybody check you out? Check us out at deathvalleyvoice.com and then at Buzz Breeden or Buzz underscore Breeden on Twitter. Excellent. And like I said, the BCS countdown, something I highly recommend. So uh, say you all check out uh, deathvalleyvoice.com and Buzz Breeden, once again, thank you very much. And this is Kyle Kensing, SaturdayBlitz.com podcast, signing off until Monday for the BCS Championship.